You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Thank you, ladies, for that. What a great thought. And uh, there is joy in the presence of the angels, the Bible says. There's joy in heaven when one soul comes. And I'm grateful for that truth. And let's not ever get over that. And uh, maybe, maybe today could be a day that, that that very thing could happen in heaven today. If you would respond to the call of Christ, and he says that the only reason you don't have life is because you haven't come. Today could be the day. And I'm going to encourage you to humble yourself. Let God have his perfect work in your life through his word. And he wants to do that today in somebody's life. And I, I think there's, that's probably obvious today that, that somebody in here needs to submit themselves to the call of Jesus Christ for salvation. And I hope that you will. Genesis chapter 16 is where we're going to be, Genesis 16. And today we're going to continue our series in Genesis and look at another episode in Abram's life. And um, how many of you have ever been on a roller coaster before? Okay, so most of you, that's how I feel about Abram's life. It's a roller coaster. I mean, some weeks he's up and some weeks he's down and some weeks it's great and some weeks it's bad. And uh, one week he's building altars to God. The next week he's running to Egypt for help and uh, you know, just all these things. One week he's rescuing Lot and he's calling on God for salvation. And, and yet we come to Genesis 16 and it's another low point. And at this, this point in the roller coaster, he's at the bottom of the hill and, and it doesn't get much lower than this for Abram. Now remember, this is after Abram had believed God. He had faith that counted in Genesis 15, and he believed God for salvation, and it was counted to him for righteousness, but he gets impatient, waiting for God's promises. Now we'll look at Genesis 16, beginning in verse 1. Let's stand together as we read the scripture this morning in honor of the reading of of God's word. Genesis 16, we'll begin reading in verse 1. And it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, And gave her to to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Let me give you just a summary to this point. This is about, this is ten years after Abram had moved into Canaan. Um, He's at this point, at the end of this chapter, he's at 86, it says. So I would assume he's 85. And and it's been maybe, maybe 15 years, to between 10 and 15 years, since God first came and called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees to take him to a place that he, he was going to show him. And Abram's name means father, okay? So just in case you're not understanding the pressure, Abram's name means father. And yet they're still childless. They haven't been able to have a child, and, and yet God has made all these promises that, that come with having children. And so Sarah comes up with, I'm just going to use a good Bible word. She, she comes up with a good, a sketchy sounding plan. Okay, I don't know the Hebrew word for that, but I'm sure it's there somewhere. A sketchy plan. 
And she says, she knows that she's the one that has trouble with childbearing. And, and so she says, Abram, I have a maid, I have a servant named Hagar, and, and I will give you, I'll give her to you and treat her like your wife. And, and, and she can be like somewhat of a surrogate mother is the idea. And you can go in unto Hagar, she can have the child, and it would be like my child. And so Abram consents, he does what she asks. And in verses 3 and 4, let's look. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in under Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So Abram, or Hagar despises Sarah. So she looks at Sarai, and she says, well, I'm, I'm with child, and, and you can't have children. And she has this air of superiority now. So now there's a conflict between Sarai and Hagar. Look at verse 5. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. Sarah blames Abram and acts as if it's his fault. And the problem is, if Abram is like most men, he probably doesn't remember the details of the first conversation anyway. So he probably does think it's his fault. She probably says, it was your idea. Remember, he's like, oh, I guess, I guess so. Right. Okay. Even though it was Sarah's idea. So she comes and she blames it and says, My wrong be upon thee. I've given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she conceived, I was despised in her eyes. And then she, just as a parting shot, the Lord judge between me and thee. Sarah is not happy. I'm not going to go into that anymore. Verse 6. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when then and when Sarah, I'm sorry, and when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And we could read the rest of the passage, but I, Lord willing, plan to look at that next week. But this is the kind of result you get when you leave God out of your life. These are the results. Uh, what a mess. And really, it shouldn't surprise you. When we act on our own without God, these are the results. And with God out of the equation, we never get right results. We always have inferior answers. We, we can even want what's right. And I believe Abram and Sarai, they want what's right. But if you do it the wrong way, you won't get, what God, you won't get God's blessings. So the idea here is the, these, this is the inferior results of life without God. And that living our life our way always produces inferior results. It always does. Right. Let's pray and ask God to help and bless our time together. Father, we pray, pray that you bless the reading of your word. I pray that you'd help me to convey it, that I'd get out of the way, and that the truth of the scripture would be evident. Pray that you then, each person in the pew, every heart today, I pray right now that every heart would submit themselves to you. Every heart right now would say, God, you have permission to work in my life however you see fit. Lord, bless us and help us and help us to get the point today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I was in high school, I uh, had a, my, one of my first jobs was, uh, I was eighth grade, ninth grade, and my, my mom worked at the, the, the school, the school offices, and um, I, there was a calculus teacher there at the high school there in Evanston, Wyoming, named Bob Codner, and uh, Mr. Codner was, uh, was a math genius. Okay, we probably have some math geniuses in here today, people really good at math. I'm not one of them, okay? 
So my, Matt, my, my, uh, my boss at this point, Mr. Codner, I would help him. He, he created his own calculus curriculum um, and not sure why somebody would want to do that, but he did it. And uh, we would go, I would work for him in the afternoons and help him send things, I would mail things out and, and just help him with whatever he needed. And, and so he convinced me then, uh, my sophomore year, he convinced me to take calculus with him. And so I, mean, I, I, uh, I was questioning, the, after the first day I went in and I questioned, I didn't know if I was in calculus or in some foreign language class. I did not know. It was just that far over my head. And so I was looking around the room and there were some kids that got it and there were others like me and smoke coming out of their ears and not really sure what's happening. And so I just, I knew I was going to be in trouble if I didn't get some help. So I looked around the room and found an older student, a senior, and they looked smart. I thought they were smart and I asked them for some help. And so they, they tried to give me some help. And, and uh, after our next quiz, I realized that they didn't know any more than I did. So it didn't take me long, though, to skip all the students in my class and go directly to Mr. Codner, because he was the one that wrote the curriculum. He was the one that had the right answers. And and before too long, I was doing much better in the class. Now, what if I had continued to ask for help from the other students in my class? What if I had spent the semester going from this student to that student instead of asking the teacher? I probably would have failed, and you would say that I really deserve to fail for not going to the source. But really, that's how a lot of people are living their lives, in that there's a source for true help and answers, and all I have to do is hold this Bible up, and you know what I'm talking about. There's a source for true help and true answers in life, and all you have to do is submit to it, and yet most people live their lives going to the other students who don't really have the right answers. I saw a video of a woman, um, and she was, she, somebody was recording her, uh, just out of spite, I guess, but she pulls into a gas station, to a gas pump, and, and she pulls up to the pump, only to realize that her gas tank is on the other side. You've probably done that before. By the way, there's a little arrow on your gas, on your gas gauge inside your car that tells you what side the gas tank is on. Did you know that? There really is one. Look at it next time, okay? So, I just discovered that. So, <laughs> not really. I've known that for a while, at least six months. So, so she pulls into the gas tank and uh, the gas pump and realizes her tanker's on the other side. So she turns around and pulls it, but she goes to the other pump, but she turns, comes into the same side. So she gets out of her car and she looks at the gas tank and then she gets back in her car. She does the same thing. And I'm not kidding. In this video, she does it at least eight or nine times. Before she realizes that the gas tank is on her side. And you know, that really is an indication of the way that many people live. And that we have a problem and we need a solution, but we're doing the same things to find the answers. And you cannot find the answers with the same solutions over and over. They say that's the definition of insanity, don't they? To try to do the same thing over and over and expect different results. That's how many people are living their lives. And that is essentially what we find in Genesis 16. Abram and Sarai, they've been waiting for God to bless them with a promised son for well over 10 years now and nothing is happening. So rather than go to the one source who has all the answers and made the promise and said, I will take care of this, they try a different method. And their method produces inferior results like it always does. 
Listen, you cannot operate without God and expect results that please God. You cannot operate without God and expect results that please God. It's not possible. So look at the results of operating. This is a simple thought today, but I just want you to look at the results of operating apart from God. First, we take direction from inferior sources. When you operate without God, you will find yourself taking direction from inferior sources. Look at verse 2. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Sarai comes with her plan. Abram hearkens to her plan. Now listen. Um, Abram, so Abram's taking counsel from his wife, Sarai. And I just want to say this. This is not one of those passages that's a blanket passage, men, that you don't have to listen to your wife. Listen, uh, we're better off listening to our wives. I know that may not be popular with everybody in here, but God help the man who thinks his biblical position as head of the home means he can dismiss everything his wife says. See, our wives have insight, men, that we need. And if you have a godly wife, don't dismiss her help. That's not the point today. I would honestly tell you that my wife is my primary counselor. I run just about everything by her, and she often thinks of of things from an angle that I hadn't even considered. And I'm thankful for a godly, insightful wife, man. Are you? Amen. But in this case, Abram's taking counsel from Sarai, and it's foolish because her counsel is opposed to God's counsel. In Genesis 15, God is saying, listen, trust me, uh, I will take care of this. I'll make sure this happens. In In chapter 16, Sarai says, let's try our own plan. Abram doesn't talk to God at all in this whole chapter. And you can read it for yourself later. Not once does Abram build an altar and ask God. And yet he's known for building altars. Yet not once does he talk to God. Not once does he go to God in all this chapter. Sarah talks to Abram. Abram listens to Sarai. Sarah comes back and talks to Abram. Uh, Then Abram talks to Sarai. And then Sarai talks to Hagar. But not once do they talk to the Lord. In fact, the only one in this whole chapter that talks to God is Hagar after Sarai sends her away. She's the only one who at any point has a conversation with God. And here's the problem with leaving God out of our plans and out of our processes is that all other counsel is inferior. Anything else that you trust to teach you or guide you in your life in any area of your life is inferior if it's not God's. And we're all guided by something. Many people say, well, I run my life. No one tells me what to do. And that sounds great until you come up against a problem that you don't have an answer for. And unless you're just really full of pride, then you would have to admit there are things that come your way that you don't know what to do with. We all, uh, listen, uh, if all you do is trust yourself and you say, I'm my own guide and I'm my own compass, then you will eventually come up against something that you don't have an answer for. And what will, what was go- what's going to help you then? See, we, we, if we trust ourselves to guide ourselves, then all we'll ever get is all we have. We don't have anything outside of ourselves. Uh, others of us operate maybe according to somebody else in our lives. Maybe we have a friend that gives us direction or we take counsel from. Or maybe you, you listen to a podcast of somebody that has real good advice. Listen, I'm not against podcasts. I mean, I, I don't listen to them as much as, as some people do. I think they're helpful but I would be careful of assuming that everything on a podcast is helpful. And we have a podcast, by the way, so I'm not downing podcasts. But our podcast is preaching, amen? So, 
Be careful of podcasts. Be careful of, of YouTube personalities. Be careful of, of, of just buying everything that your favorite author says. As good as those things are, they're not God's counsel. You have to be careful of those things. Or maybe you have a guiding set of mindset or a guiding set of principles that you operate by and you assume that those truths or your mindset uh, about the world are true and you operate by that. And there are others in here with lots of life experience. There are people in here with great education and, and, and you assume that's enough to get you by. Listen, as great as all of those sound, they're all inferior to the direction that God has to offer. There's nothing that parallels or comes close to the direction that you will find in God's word from God himself. Here's what Abram said to Sarai, or here's what Abram and Sarai did, I mean. They looked around at the culture and they let that be their compass. See, it was the cultural norm in that day for a man to take more than a wife, one wife. If he wanted to, and he, he looked around and said, oh, I've got this wife, but I want another one. I want that one. Then, hey, that's not a big deal. That was the culture. It was perfectly, perfectly acceptable for a man to treat a woman who wasn't his wife like she was his wife. That was the culture. And I've heard plenty of people say, well, they had multiple wives in the Bible, so it must be okay. And, but God never once, listen, God never once condoned the act of a man marrying more than one wife. From the beginning, it was one man, one woman for life. That's it. See, that's God's design. You know, we have a problem with that in our culture because it, it, our culture says, if you're not satisfied with your spouse, it's acceptable to replace your spouse. And I know this is treading on, some, on some, some maybe controversial ground, but since when do we take cues from our culture? Just because our culture says, well, this is acceptable. Listen, there's a lot to unpack here and we don't have time to do it all. Suffice it to say, listen, if you're a man and you're a woman, you're married, you've got a family and you're trying to follow God, the last place that you need to take your cues from is this culture. They have no concern for God. They have no concept of trusting God's ways. They're doing things the way that they want to do them. And the culture has their views of marriage. They have their views of raising children and disciplining children and conducting their homes. And they have their views of how often you should go to church or if you should at all. They have their views of the priority of your spiritual life. They have their views of everything else that you can think of. But the only source that will help you to do it right and well and please God is to look at God's word and follow that. Most people are doing everything except listening to God's instructions for life. I mean, most families aren't regularly attending church. I said it in Sunday school this morning, and I, I, was, I was comparing the fact that in our culture, we're much more concerned about the physical things than we are the spiritual things. And I dared to say, I would imagine that today there will be a lot more people riding bikes and running and working out in Sioux Falls than they are sitting in churches. It's an indication of our culture I mean, just about everybody has, it joins a club or has a bike or goes running or has an elliptical or, or a stationary bike that never gets used in their house, but they've got one. But I would say that a lot more people um, don't ever give any attention to their spiritual lives. That's the culture we're living in. Most families don't make it a priority to go to church. Most families don't, don't care or, or think about spiritual things. They're not opening God's word when they have a big decision to make. They're listening to the culture, they're listening to themselves, they're listening to education, they're listening to life experience, they're listening to someone else. Because when you leave God out, you'll listen to any voice that comes along. I'm telling you, that will happen. There's a lot to unpack. We all have a compass. 
We all have something that we're listening to, but if anything other than God is leading you in any area of your life, it's time to get a new compass. See, and it will not, that that compass, if it's not God, it will not lead you where you want to go. Your best option is to let God operate your life. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, it says, and he shall direct thy paths. Listen, if I'm going to have a compass, if I'm going to have a, nobody uses a compass anymore, but if you have a GPS, if I have a GPS, I want it to be God. I want him to be the one directing, because I've used Google Maps, and I've used Apple Maps, and I'm telling you, they've taken me to some really strange places before. There's an interesting point in verse 2. It seems that Abram and Sarai, they still had God's promise in mind. Sarai said, you know, that I may obtain a child or children by her. According to Malachi 2.15, Abram was seeking the promises of God. They wanted what God had promised. They wanted a son through which the covenant would be kept. But listen, you can't get what God promises without doing things God's way. You could, your, your intentions may be right. Your motives may be good. And you may want God's blessings in your life. But if you're not living your life God's way, you will not get God's blessings. And this, this is a very important, and it seems like a very simple truth today, but most people don't get it. Most people are not operating their lives according to God's word. They're following some other compass. And listen, if you operate without God, you will find yourself uh, following inferior directions. But second, you will find yourself compromising in new ways. So first, you will find yourself operating to, according to inferior directions or instructions. But second, you will compromise in new ways. Look at verse 3. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went unto, in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Can you imagine, listen, can you imagine in chapter 15, after God had, Abram had this great encounter with God, God came and confirmed his covenant. We, t- we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, how God came and he said, listen, Abram was doubting. And God said, no, look at the stars. And if you look at the stars, uh, that's the number of children you're going to have. And Abram at that point said, okay, I believe you, God. And and his belief or his faith was counted unto him for righteousness. That was a high point in his life. And then God confirms his covenant by walking through the sacrifice. We talked about that last time. I mean, Genesis 15 was a high point in Abram's life. And so can you imagine if somebody told him, okay, Abram, the next recorded thing about you in God's word is that you're going to go into your, your wife's servant and try to have a child by her instead. He probably would have said, no way. I mean, God just confirmed his covenant. I mean, God, I believe God. I had faith. And, and, and listen, no, I would never do that. Well, be careful what you say you'd never do. See, he listens to bad counsel. He treats Hagar like his wife. They have a physical relationship. And he goes in under her. There's a child conceived. And Abram, I guarantee after this, if you would have thought, hey, listen, Abram, do you think that this would be the end? Do you think that this is an episode in your life? He would have said, no, the God who made the stars, he said he'd take care of this. I trust him. But when you leave God out of your life, you listen to inferior voices, you will begin making compromises you never thought you would. Plenty of people have said, I would never do that, only to find themselves in that very position. There are some things that you might say, or we might say we'd never do, and we might say, I'd never take a drink. 
I'd never watch that. I'd, I'd never listen to that. I'd never say that to my wife. I, I, would, I would always be faithful. And it's great to resolve it, but if you listen to the wrong voices long enough, there's no telling where your sin nature can take you. In the right circumstances, it's possible. And you might say something like, uh, just a crazy scenario, you might say, I would never scream at or, or physically engage with my boss. You may have thought about it, but you never would do it or say, you know, you never scream at your boss or... Well, you say, I would never do it, but what if your boss was choking on a piece of food? Or what if your boss was about to step into front of, in front of traffic? Um, would you yell at your boss then, or would you grab him and pull him back? My point is this, we, we're good at saying, I would never do that, but if we're put in the right situation with the right circumstances, I'm, I'm telling you, there's not, there, there aren't many lows that our sin nature can't take us. And we assume, well, I would never be in that position. I would never do that. I would never say that. But if you leave God out of your life long enough and listen to the wrong voices long enough, you can find yourself doing things you've never dreamed of. How many men have said they'd never be unfaithful? They'd never, they'd never do that. How many, how many men have said that? Well, plenty that have, that have made bad choices. How many wives have said the same thing? How many good Christians have said they'd never get into something like that or have an addiction like that? That would never be something that that would appeal to them. How many teenagers, young people, how many teenagers have said you'd never take that drink or you'd never smoke that or you'd never be in a position where you would be around that? How many young people have said that? But leaving God out of your plans and listening to inferior voices will take you down those roads. Even the great apostle Paul in Romans 7 said, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And if you sit here today and you think, well, in pride, I would never be there. I could never do that. The great apostle Paul said, "The The good that I would, I do not. The evil which I would not, that I do. Who are we to think that our sin nature can't take us there? Be careful, I'm telling you. And you may not seem serious to you right now, and you may not think it applies to you, but if you leave God out of your life and you listen to the wrong voices long enough, there's no, there are no depths that your sin nature can't take you. We've got to be careful of assuming I would never go down that road because one compromise leads to another. Here's an interesting thought. Where do you think Hagar came from? Where does it say she was from? She was from Egypt. You remember another compromise in Abram's life? When there was a famine in the land, what did he do? He fled to Egypt rather than staying in the land that God had taken him. He fled to Egypt to supply and provide for him, and he made a compromise. And most people think it's pretty obvious that while they were in Egypt, when Pharaoh sent him away because he lied about his wife and almost got Pharaoh in trouble, then when Pharaoh sent him away, he sent Hagar back with him. And I'm telling you, you make one compromise that you think will not come back to bite you. As soon as you make one compromise, you're bound to make another one. You you make one allowance in your life. And it may be a small one that you think will will not affect you in the long run. But one small compromise, I'm telling you folks, it will lead to a bigger compromise eventually. Once you do it once, you'll be more inclined to, to excuse it the next time. And Hagar likely came from Abram's first compromise. And now they're compromising again because of that, that influence that's still around. You leave God out of our lives, it results in inferior directions, us following inferior directions, and it leads to new compromises. And third, 
It produces results you're not going to like. Inferior voices, new compromises, and results you're not going to like. You know, their inferior solutions created inferior results. So here's, I mean, God has a way that he wanted this family to be conducted, but they did their things, their way, and here's what happened. Well, Hagar ends up despising Sarai. She says, well, I could have children and you can't. Look at me. Sarai turns around and blames Abraham as if it's all his fault. And by the way, husbands, we are responsible for the decisions of our families. So in some ways, you might say, well, it's not fair that Sarai turned it around on Abram. But Abram, had, Abram was a man. Abram could have made his own decisions. And in the end, men, God has put us in the position as the head of the home to lead. Not in matters of value, but in matters of position. We're all valuable to God, every, every person in the family. But God has placed it in your, in, in your responsibility to make the decisions. And Abram could not blame Sarai, that's for sure. He, had his own, he made his own decisions. So Sarai's blaming Abram, so their relationship is damaged. Hagar flees into the wilderness because her and Sarai get into it. We're going to talk about that more next week, Lord willing. But listen, the entire household is in upheaval. Leaving God out and listening to inferior voices always produces inferior results. Leaving God out, listening to inferior voices always produces inferior results. Not only that, listen, the result of all this is this little boy named Ishmael, and he, and he was innocent in all this. He's just, a, I mean, it just happened to him. But listen, he, he grew up and became an enemy of Israel. And 4,000 years later, those Arab countries in the Middle East and Israel are still at odds. They came from Ishmael. Listen, it's not just what was produced, it's how long it was produced. And this is a basic life lesson. You can choose your actions. I've said this before. You get to choose your actions, you can, but you don't get to choose your consequences. You don't get to choose how harsh they are. You don't get to choose how severe they are. You don't get to choose how long they last. And I'm telling you today, if you leave God out of your life and you make a poor decision, it will result in things like broken trust. It will result in things like injured relationships. It will result in financial mistakes. It will result in embarrassment. It will result in shame. It will result in regret. And you may have an Ishmael that you've been dealing with for years. One bad decision, one lapse in judgment. You just left God out of your life. You listen to the wrong voice, that inferior voice, and you're not sure it's ever going to get better. There's regret, and there has been for years. And I'm telling you, there's regret of those decisions and consequences. And if I can help somebody today to listen to God and not give in to those inferior voices and not have new compromises so that you don't have to live a life of regret, that's what I'm trying to do this morning. I don't want you to have to live with an Ishmael. You could walk, look around the room and there's probably plenty of people here today that are living with an Ishmael. And you've got it in your life because of a decision you make. And I'm telling you, most of us would say, if we've got a regret like that, it's because we left God out of the decision-making process and we listened to the wrong voices and we made another compromise and now look what happens. If we can prevent it, I'm looking at the young people in this room and just thinking, if you would just include God in all your plans... All the adults in here would say, amen, thank you, just do that. Your life would be so much better. Yet some young people think, well, I don't need God. I can try things on my own for a while. I'm telling you, it never works out. Look around the room and so many of us would say, we've operated without God. And now we have results that we don't like. Here's the application. We can try to gain spiritual blessings one of two ways. You can either... Go with the pressure of the culture, 
or you can go with the promise of the covenant. See, the pressure of the culture will say, do things your way. The pressure of the culture, that's what Abram did. He was trying to obtain God's promises without God's methods. And he was operating according to the culture and not the covenant. And Egypt is always a picture of the world. And Hagar is an Egyptian. And so he was taking his cues from the culture. He, was, he forgot about the covenant. He ignored God's way and, and focused on the culture's way. And he's, he's looking at that Eastern culture, cultural norm of having more than one wife and polygamy and downplaying monogamy and, and, and a monogamous, monogamous marriage and operating according to that way. And you say, but he wanted God's blessings. Well, yeah, but God's blessings only come God's ways. And spiritual blessings could never be earned through fleshly methods. God's blessings never come the world's way. You you can't get what God wants without doing it God's way. You don't get the right results with the wrong methods. I mean, if you go up to a, and this is a basic in life, if you go up to a, 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 to get a fountain drink and and you want Mountain Dew, but you keep putting your cup under Dr. Pepper, you're not going to get Mountain Dew. And, and, And some of you look like you need some Mountain Dew right now. I want you to have some caffeine if you need it. But you you can't get Mountain Dew out of the Dr. Pepper nozzle and you can't get Dr. Pepper out of the Mountain Dew nozzle. And it'd be like my wife when she accidentally gets something diet. The look on her face is like, how did that happen? This is terrible. (laughs) Well, some of us are, we're at the fountain drink and we we think we're getting something that tastes good, but it's under the Diet Coke nozzle. If you're a Diet Coke fan, I'm sorry. But, but listen, this is a basic of life. And we think, well, I would never try that. I can't do, I can't get the, the a different soda or pop, whatever, whatever y'all say. I can't get the different drink out of the wrong nozzle. Well, that's, that's absolutely true. But why, why do we think then spiritually then that we can do things our way and get God's blessings? As if he's going to sign off on it. We're under the wrong nozzle. We're, we're not going to get his blessings from that. That's the promise of the culture, friend. The culture is telling you that you can do it however you want and you'll be happy. But I'm telling you, they're not happy. The promise of the covenant means Abram only had to submit to God's ways and trust God's plan. The promise of our covenant, though, is through Jesus Christ. It's found in God's word. And you can choose to follow this for every area of life in which you want God's blessings. This is the only path to spiritual blessings right here. You can, have God's, you can only have God's blessings God's way. And if, listen, if God's blessings are a destination, there's only way to, one way to get to them, and that's God's way. When I wanted to do it right, I went to my calculus teacher. You know, this, this whole message is a little bit like a math equation. And I'm not good at math, and you're, you're see, I've got some very simple equations, okay? So I want to show you the first one up here. Raising children minus God equals inferior results. And you say, well, my children are not inferior. Well, um, your children may be well, they may be um, well adjusted and they may be super smart and they may be good at sports and they may play instruments and all that. I'm not talking about that stuff. You may have really good kids, but you won't have godly kids without God. So if you're trying to raise your children and you're doing it the way that your parents taught you or the way that seems natural to you and you're not including God in the process, there's the math equation. Raising children minus God equals inferior results. You say, well, that's really basic math. Well, that's all I've got, okay? The next one, though, raising children plus God 
equals God's blessings. So you can do it. Listen, you can do it without God and you can have inferior results. Or you could do it with God and you could have God's blessings. And you say, well, my children, I, I tried to do it with God and they made their own decisions. They will. They do make their own decisions. Okay, you can't force them to do something. But your chances of having God's blessings and godly children are much higher to do it God's way than to leave them out of the process. The next math equation is marriage minus God equals inferior results. In the case you wondered whether or not that one's true, we just looked at it in Genesis 16. It's a marriage, and they tried to leave God out of the process, and they definitely had inferior results. They had injured relationships. They had damage to the, to the, to the household. I mean, uh, Hagar is with his child. Now she's running away. I'm, talking, I'm telling you, if you try to live a mar- your marriage life without God, it will always be inferior results. And the reason is because marriage is not easy. We need something supernatural to help two people come from different backgrounds and different mindsets and different personalities and live under the same roof and even in the same bedroom. I mean, I'm telling you, you need something divine. You need something supernatural to make it happen. But if you leave God out of the process, it's always inferior results. And marriages that don't last typically have left God out of the process. But here's the other equation. Marriage plus God equals God's blessings. I'm telling you, I want my marriage to be blessed. I want my wife and I to have a great marriage. I want, I want God to be pleased. I'm going to stand before God as a husband and God say, you did it right. I'm thankful for that. Well done, thou good and faithful husband. Praise the Lord. I want him to say that. But if I leave God out of the process, I will not have God's blessings. The next equation, finances. I'm just giving you something practical. If you leave God out of your financial plan, you'll have inferior results. We'll say, well, you should see my portfolio. I, I've, got, I, I've got retirement ready. I've got all kinds of money. I'm, everything's settled and I'm, life is good. Okay, that's great. You've got treasures on earth. But where are your treasures in heaven? See, as soon as you pass from this life, if you've operated your finances without God, then you will have nothing to give to God. On the other hand, you got finances plus God, it equals God's blessings. Which means that you may not ever have an extensive portfolio. And you may not ever have a lot of money. You may not ever be a millionaire like most of us will likely not ever be. But when you stand before God in heaven someday because you included God in your plans for your family's finances. He'll say, well done thou good and faithful servant. Look at the rewards you have. And you say, praise the Lord, but they're not for me. And you'll have something to cast back to God. Listen, I want God involved in my, my finances because I want his blessings on my life here. And I, I want rewards when I stand before him, not for my sake, but for his. The next, salvation. This is so important. Salvation, if you try to save your own soul without God. Salvation minus God equals eternity without God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no way to get through heaven's door without Jesus Christ. But you're trying to do it without God. And if you try salvation minus God, you will have eternity without God. But if you do salvation plus God, that's eternity with God. 
Meaning that you've trusted Christ as the only way to spend eternity in heaven. And you know there's no way you could do it on your own. It would be like you, like, like Abram and Sarah, trying to figure out how to make life work on their own. And you're trying it. And you're trying to work hard. You're trying to do everything that you think is possible. You're, you're doing good works and you've got good intentions. And you're trying not to sin. I'm telling you, it will never be good enough. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins because you're a sinner. And you couldn't pay for it yourself. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin... Sin is death, eternity without God. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and the, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're trying salvation without God, you can forget about it. But if you want salvation, you go to God and trust his plan through Jesus Christ and you forever can spend eternity with God in heaven. Amen, you good. tell me which one sounds better. Amen. And listen, this really applies to every situation of life. The next one Anything minus God. It's always inferior. But anything plus God will have his blessings. I don't know how else to make it more simple. This is the kind of math that I can handle. I wish my calculus class had been that easy. With God, I always get the right answer. Without him, it's always wrong. So let me ask you this. In what area of your life have you left God out of the equation? Let me ask it this way. What areas of your life just aren't working? And I would venture to say that in the areas of your life that aren't working, it's because you've left God out of the equation. Do you want to know blessings instead of inferior results? Put down your calculator and let's do some simple math. Anything minus God is inferior results. Anything plus God equals God's blessings. When you put God in the equation, friend, it always equals the correct answer. So stop taking cues from yourself. Stop looking around at your friends. Stop Stop searching help from your family even. Stop looking at the culture. The, problem, the culture has this pressure on us and says you've got to do things this way. No, forget all of that. Forget all the pressure of the culture. And you go to the promises of the covenant. When you, when you subject yourself to the promises of God through his covenant, through Jesus Christ, through his word. I'm telling you, you can set aside the inferior results and you can have some serious blessings. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy. It's not. It's not always easy. It wasn't even easy for Jesus Christ. But I'm talking about in the end, when you stand before God at the very end, that's when you look back and say, okay, that was worth it. All the inferior results that I struggled through and trudged through and I have all these regrets from, I should, should have set those aside a long time ago because when I do things God's way, I'm telling you, the blessings are endless. The blessings literally are eternal. So today the choice is yours. You want inferior results or you want eternal blessings. And the choice is yours. Like Jesus said, all you have to do is come. All you have to do is come and submit yourself. And if it's your marriage, come and submit it to God. Do it God's way. If it's your children, come and submit them to God. Do it God's way. If it's your finances, come and submit it to God. Do it God's way. But listen, if it's your salvation and you're struggling, you don't know. If it's your salvation, today's the day. You'll always have inferior results. If you try it your own way, I'm telling you, you've got eternity without God in your future. 
But if you will come and submit yourself to Christ's plan, you can spend eternity with God in heaven forever. It's the only option. Would you submit to it this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask a couple of questions. If you know that you're on your way to heaven, you know that you're saved, you know that things are right between you and the Lord as far as eternity goes, would you just real quick raise your hand? Just a quick raise your hands. I look around the room, I see hands all over. Thank you, you can put those down. If you don't know, and you've been trying things your own way, and you know it's inferior to God's plan, and you're just not sure where you stand with God, would you just mind just being real honest right now? Nobody's looking around, just me. And say, I don't know that if I died today that I would spend eternity with God. I don't know. Any hands that would go up that would say, I don't know that, I, I, that I'm saved. Any hands, I'm looking around the room. Would you just be honest this morning? Would you just be transparent and, and would you just be humble? I'm looking around the room. Any hands this morning? So we didn't have any hands go up for that, but I, I, I don't know that that's accurate. I think there are probably some that aren't. I want to encourage you, whether or not you raised your hand today could be the day of your salvation. So now I'm talking to mostly Christian folks in here today, and I'm asking you, is there some area in your life that God is not leading? You've left him out of the process, and it's backfired. Is there some area in your life, and you say, well, that, would, that would describe an area of my life, and I need to include God back in the plans. Any hands in, those, in that? We're looking around the room, and I've got hands in every section all over the room. If God's leading you about some area of your life that you've left God out, and it's become a mess because you've left God out of it, why don't you come and submit that to God and include him back in your plans? Don't give in to the pressure of the culture. Instead, let's, let's, let's operate according to the promises of the covenant. Today's the day. Let's stand together. We'll pray and then the invitation will be open this morning. If God's led you, if you raised your hand and you want to respond this morning, I would encourage you to make a public decision and just come either kneel at your seat, but I would encourage you to come down here and, let, and make a decision for Christ today. Make it serious. Heavenly Father, I want to encur- I just encouraged by the spirit of your people today, but, uh, but that's not enough, Lord. If someone is here and they're holding on and they're not making a spiritual decision, Lord, would you please give them the courage even now to step out and to come submit themselves to you. God, if we leave you out of the equation, it will always be inferior. Have your will and way. Work as you are working in someone's life this morning. Work and give them the courage to make the decision that you want them to. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.